Welcome to the Scale Up Valley podcast, where we bring the best of the best to help you scale a business from 1 million to 1 trillion. Today's guest is a very special one. Her name is Isadora Kimura, the founder of Nilo Saud. Isadora, or as usually uh, you like to be called, Isa, uh, it's really a pleasure. You are such uh, a, an inspiring founder uh, who is doing a, a great job in the health tech space in Brazil. And I'm really, really happy and honored to have you on the show. Thanks so much for, for joining us today. Thank you so much, Mike. I'm really happy to be here and chat with you and the whole crew. And uh, yes, for the ones who didn't have the pleasure yet to get to know more about your story, uh, by the way, I really commend some of your previous podcasts in, in Portuguese for the ones who speak uh, Portuguese. I'm not sure if this is the first one that you record uh, in English, but at least we are making it available for the global crowds uh, and making the story uh, available for everyone. So let us know more about you and, and, and your story and uh, how did your purpose cross uh, with, uh, with the will and the willing and uh, the inspiration to start at Nilo? Let's do it. So, well, telling a little bit more about me, I'm Brazilian and I lived in Brazil most of my life with some um, years on and off living in the US, more specifically in San Francisco. Starting from the beginning in terms of career, I'm, a, I'm an engineer, um, more specifically a mechanical engineer, and I went to a school here in Brazil that's very technical. It's known for people who go there to build planes and spaceships. Wow. So for me, yeah, it was like something that um, I thought I wanted and I desired, but by the time I got there, I learned a lot about myself and I realized that, that those very technical classes and labs, they were not very for me. I was much more interested and energized by quick, quick experimentations and doing things with users, with customers, with the business sides of innovation. And the school was very focused on the... Uh, learning and development and, and the long time research that helps to advance technology, but in a really different way. And from there, I started to try, that, try out different things, right? So I had some experiences in venture capital quickly and strategic consulting, but it was when I got to try working in a smaller company and more specifically in a startup that I felt really energized and I felt that I found something that I could connect with and create more impact. Um, when I was about to graduate, I found out about this uh, position, being a product manager. And for me, it connected different dots in my career and my interests, yep. because while it was important to understand some of the technical sides of the, the company or the product, you also had to be engaged with designers and sales and marketing, which were areas of my interest. And you were also really responsible and held accountable for the impact with users. And for me, that was like the complete um, pool of things that were of my interest. So my first job, my first experience out of school was in a very early stage startup. And I chose it in education because it's something that, for me, again, going back to impact, 
was using what I have learned, the technical side of things, but also to create some uh, impacts down the road for people who were using it. And what we were doing at the time was helping students to learn in a cheaper way to prepare for the national exams we have here that would help them to get to a good university and therefore to increase their, their revenue and their salaries after graduation. Right. So there was like a clear thesis for impact. And I was there uh, for around four years from the time we launched the first product, we got to scale this product to around 6 million students in Brazil. And then the wow. company was sold. Yeah, it was a, it was a very great well experience done. in terms of impact. And even though it wasn't like a unicorn as it was sold, it was definitely like a very good case of uh, com coming from something out of scratch and then like moving along to a more stable and profitable company, which it is today. And after that, I moved to the US looking to uh, further my understanding about product management and about business. I went to do my MBA in Stanford and I also did a master's in education there. And when I moved there, I thought I would continue on this path of working with education and technology because this is the combination that for me was uh, very connected to purpose and very connected to things I was passionate about. And life took a different turn when I actually, after graduation, started working for a company called BetterUp, which is in a way in education because what they do is Develop, helping adults, working adults to develop social emotional skills. But they're also in healthcare because the way they do it is by connecting a coach with a professional. This is sponsored by the company. So it's like a B2B company. And with that coach, each professional learns what's, what are their strengths, what are their points of development, and they have a curriculum that where they can use the day-by-day -day and work to grow and have like a lot of feedback from this coach guiding the process. And I was in this company for only around a year. It was also a great experience because I saw them overseeing a lot of growth. I was there post series C. While I was in the company, it reached the valuation of a unicorn. Um, it definitely was one of those like super high growth companies in the Silicon Valley. Yeah. Nowadays, it's worth, the last valuation was like over $6 billion. So it was good to see a lot Impressive. of things breaking. Yeah, and, and a, lot of, um, a lot of their processes having to be replaced and rebuilt. But for me, it was also good to understand that, that one thing that we're doing, which is connecting a coach through telemedicine with uh, a patient, that at the case was a professional, right. was highly impactful. And it was possible because of a very simple technology that was telemedicine or doing an appointment that in the past would cost $500 an hour. And we made it possible to cost uh, a fraction of that. Right. So I think like at that time, I was already living in the U.S. for uh, around four years. And mm -hmm. for me, impact has also always been like a very important theme in my career choices and I realized that there were so many, so much, so many things that we could do back in Brazil using a similar concept of using technology to leverage what type of care it's provided. And that's when I decided to return to Brazil in 2019 
to look, take a deeper look into the space of what can be done using technology in the healthcare space. So I made this like shift, it started at BetterUp and that's also when I met my co-founders and we started to understand the beginning of Nilo. Should I tell a little bit about Nilo or? <laughs> yeah, it sounds, uh, I was really, really uh, focused on listening the, the story and, and writing down uh, notes. Uh, and I, I was really, I would like to highlight what you were saying about being a product manager. It really, it, it's a very demanding role you are, where you need to be able to uh, interact and listen to a lot of stakeholders and have a, an understanding of product technology and also the business uh, and being able to really have a, a cross-functional role, uh, which really helps a lot of people to get ready for leading a business and leading a company uh, and uh, just wanted to highlight that. But yes, now we have the perfect uh, driveway to to explain what, uh, what are you doing with you. Well, and as a quick response to that, I, I agree with that 100%, Mike. For me, working in product was a very um, enriching experience in terms of feeling accountable and feeling responsible for outcomes and also having to uh, change these lenses a little bit from the business strategy perspective to execution which now as a founder, it's a lot of what I do, especially in the early days, right? Where you're all the time having to balance the, the, the plates and the roles between looking forward, thinking what the strategy is, and then like being able to prioritize and execute with very few resources. So exactly. lots of good parallels. Uh, well, sharing a little bit about Nilo, basically uh, in 2019, Nilo was doing something very different than what we, we do today, but I think the, the story is worth telling. We started as a clinic or a digital clinic focused right. at senior citizens in Brazil. And the reason why we're doing it, it's because we realized that the senior citizens were, they, they are a growing population, right? It's, it's no news that we are getting older and Brazil is getting older faster than other countries in comparison. Um, we have a high concentration of costs for older senior patients when we think about both the public and the private health insurance systems. And they have a very bad patient experience because oftentimes the type of care you need, it's not traditional health care that's based on, based on like one-off appointments. And it's very based on doctor appointments and when you, as you get older, you need a more, more multidisciplinary type of team. You need like care from uh, physiotherapists, nutritionists, uh, doctors, of course, as well, but different types of doctors that have this perspective of the patient as a whole. Mm -hmm. And also you need a type of care that's more similar to a journey versus one-off appointments. Right. So when we realized we could leverage the same type of technology that we used at BetterUp, to provide a better patient experience. And at the same time, we right. could reduce costs for the overall system. We're like, okay, we have an opportunity here. We should build a clinic that is leveraged by technology, but takes into consideration what type of care is delivered and also does that in an effective way, uh, providing better health outcomes and providing mm -hmm. better 
uh, a better effect, uh, if more, being more effective for the system. And we started with only that product later in 2020. Uh, we sold it to a few health insurance carriers here in Brazil. But because of my product background and also because of the background of my co-founders, we had a bias towards if we don't find the tech stack to support this clinic, let's build it because this is going to be needed if we really want to mm -hmm. scale this uh, right. to different places in Brazil. And as we started to build this uh, technology to support this digital clinic, there was the peak of the pandemic in Brazil around like April, June, 2020. Mm -hmm. This was the first wave hitting the country in Latin America. And all of a sudden, like all of the healthcare providers were really concerned because they had a really in-person uh, based operation. They had like basically no digital channels to support their patients. And all of a sudden they were like looking for solutions. How can we take care of our patients in a digital way? And how can we help them to learn what to do when they don't come to an in-person appointment as they were used to because they were concerned about the, the pandemic and they were concerned about, uh, or, or they couldn't leave the house depending on what time of the year we we're talking about. So we started to get some uh, requests of, can I see the type of system you're using? Or can I buy your system? Or can I you know, copy your system? Basically I need some solution and there is no solution in the markets. And that's when we realized that there was this opportunity to expand what we were doing to also provide uh, that system where we have built in-house to be offered as a soft, as, as a, uh, in the format of a software as a service to different healthcare providers in the market. So nowadays, like long story short, Nilo provides digital infrastructure for companies who are trying to care for their patients in a longitudinal way, helping them to, to create better engagement and also better health outcomes as we were doing when we started as a seniors clinic back in 2020. Love it. Uh, so, and, and this moment you are only SaaS and you also provide uh, an health team for the ones who need it or, uh, or do you stick just with, with SaaS? How does that work? So there's something funny happening, Mike. The, the SaaS business has been growing more and more. Awesome. And this was like a natural movement that happened in, in the since Nilo's creation. So we are like really focused in this time of the uh, of the company's lifetime to provide a great SaaS experience and scaling this product a lot. And we still have some selected clients providing care uh, where we learn a lot about um, what the SaaS should look like. Exactly, love What it. types of, yeah, experiments uh, in terms of optimizations and autom autom automations we can do. Uh, and also like it helped us to prove the type of impact that can be done to our clients, having our team like running these processes and creating all of the protocols for the ones who are trying to create that from scratch as well. So it's kind of your lab to make the SaaS product better and better, having your own experience using your own platform uh, and really focusing on scaling the, the SaaS platform. So love it. Precisely, yeah, precisely. It's help, it helped us to keep our interests aligned with our clients 
Um, it's very common, especially as you're building a business that's that's a SaaS one, that different clients ask for for different uh, features throughout your life, and using the product helps us to keep the focus in delivering impact and having a sense of uh, prioritization that is very focused on our business and healthcare outcomes for our clients by trying them out first. Right. So do you, in terms of impact, um, what do you think are the most important metrics to, to measure for, for a founder and for an health tech uh, founding team or leadership team or, or professional, right? This is a really good question because we, we discussed that a lot in Nilo, even though we're not a clinic or a digital clinic as we, we used to call ourselves two years ago, uh, creating impact for patients is still our North Star uh, KPI wow. or where we're going to. Yeah. And what we do is we try to break that down and what are the other KPIs that will help us to get to that North Star, which is improving... Uh, we, the, the way we describe it is like compressing morbidity of a patient. So we want mm -hmm. their ears to have more health care, more be healthier. Uh, and that if they have any conditions, that these conditions are compressed in a later stage of life. So they have more healthy ears. That's like what we're aiming as the, the healthcare impact overall. Uh, but in order to achieve that, we have a lot of other KPIs that we look in our day by day. And one of the key ones for us is engagement. So we realized that there are lots of very good protocols and very good treatments for patients that actually don't, uh, they're not able to achieve their healthcare outcomes because either the patients or the family doesn't know how to get to them or they don't understand how to follow them or even when they do, they don't connect to that, to their personal motivation of why am I doing this? So a lot of Nilo's impact nowadays is trying to tackle all of these barriers for the patients to understand what they can, uh, what type of care should they get? Where do they find it? Uh, answer their questions and helping them to over time engage more with their treatment, therefore getting to the outcomes that we, we're looking for, especially uh, when we think about promotion and prevention of health, this is very important. Love it. Definitely the engagement and the adoption are uh, critical ingredients to, to scale and, and to generate impact, as, uh, as you said. And uh, as human beings, we sometimes we even know what we need to do, but then uh, there is a gap between what we know we need to do and, and what we do uh, in real life. And it's, it's good to, to have that support and to have that accountability and um, kind of changing our behaviors and adopting healthier behaviors and ensuring that the protocols are implemented so, so we are healthier uh, the majority of our time and, and can fulfill our dreams, let's say. Great. So I love your passion for, for impact. Uh, it, it's really important that uh, to understand that revenue is definitely a consequence of um, great results for, for patients and for um, the customer and not the result uh, itself that we should uh, chase. 
And um, and there is another topic that I know that you are very passionate about, which is the diversity uh, topic. And uh, I, I'm really happy that I had the opportunity to appear on the show. Um, also, stay from Oya Care uh, that was released um, last week. And um, and and in in that sense, uh, it's good to see human women also leading a lot of ventures in in health tech. Uh, I think it's it's kind of an outlier, uh, but uh, that's that's a great outlier and super happy to see it. And we'd love to see even more women leading more um, health tech ventures. Um, what are your thoughts about diversity and uh, what are your thoughts about your own journey uh, leading an health tech company? As, as I, I hope that we don't need to talk too much about this in the future because it's, it's so normal that we don't need to approach the topic. But uh, yeah, let's... Let's let let's learn more about it from your thoughts. Oh yeah, absolutely. So it's interesting because it is so crucial, right? That as you're thinking about a company that who, which goal is to provide better health outcomes, that you think of diversity uh, from inside out. Obviously, like if you don't have that within the company, it's going to be really hard to provide a care that is um, connecting with your diverse pool of patients as well. And there are a lot of biases that come from that. So this is something that we've been very intentional uh, from the beginning at Nilo. Nowadays, we have more than 50% of leadership um, that is diverse in terms of gender. Um, and a lot, a lot more needs to be done. I think we're just in the beginning of our journey, but it is something that we are very intentional from like having positions that are specific for the type of diversity that we're looking forward to to fill in the company, fulfilling the company. And also by creating an environment that has a lot of psychological safety, which is another one of our values or mindsets, which allows for diversity to flourish and um, and, and have like this this positive push and pull of different ideas and different ways of working. Speaking for me, um, well, it was an interesting journey and still is. I told you that I, I went to a school that was uh, focused on engineering. In that school, 90% of students are uh, guys. So, we're definitely like a very small minority of women. And it, I think that had a, a strong impact in my journey in terms of my first years of my career, I was mimicking a lot of examples that were very different from me. So my colleagues were guys and they had a certain way of talking and had a certain way of presenting themselves that at that time in my reality were the, the, the only way I, I knew of how to behave. So a lot of my uh, leadership style and my way of communicating was very based on those examples that continued in, my, in the first years of my career. I think uh, Stanford was the first place that I have worked or lived where you had a much more balanced divide between um, men and, and male and female. Mm -hmm. And 
it, it, it was no coincidence that there, it's when I realized that actually a lot of my voice as a leader didn't feel as genuine as, um, as I felt versus like as those models I was just like replicating based on a non-diverse environment. Mm -hmm. So I think for me, it was really important to be able to be in a place that was more diverse by design because obviously they select people thinking of a diverse pool as well. And there you see the, 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 the yeah. consequences of diversity, right? So they right. select people. I was able to understand different role models. I was able to feel more comfortable feeling myself. And that definitely influenced, for example, uh, my, type, my, my type of leadership nowadays that it is very that that is very feminine that is like very based on uh, emotions, social emotional skills, on connection with my coworkers, with my peers, on building a culture of vulnerability, and all of these things for me, they were very crucial because when I felt more connected to myself, when I felt more confidence, I think those were elements that helped me. And also like obviously in Stanford and in the Valley, you have a growing number of uh, females who and, and diverse leaders who are starting their own companies. I think all of those things, they are crucial for you to be able to see yourself, for me yeah. to be able to see myself yeah. as a person that can do those things as well. Um, there is a number that is crazy that there are only 4,000 people working in VCs uh, in the US. And out of this group, I, if I'm not wrong, 80% or between 80 and 90% are males. And obviously that creates a lot of biases as well in terms of investments, in terms of people looking at role models of what's possible or not. And I feel that um, building Nilo has been really special in this way to be able to connect to other entrepreneurs that are going on similar paths like Steph or Moya, and we have a few other wonderful founders here uh, doing the same. And even though, as you're saying, I wish this was not something that we're fighting against, it definitely has like this feeling of purpose of, yes, we need to do it and we need to keep going because this is what uh, paves the way for other people looking for um, models of what can I be? How can I look like? And I think it's just a, a pool of these small examples, the successful and non-successful ones. Yeah. And, and cultural wise, as you were saying, it's also um, a good business and a competitive uh, advantage to have that diversity uh, at the leadership team level. And of course, if you have it at the leadership team level, you will have it at uh, mid-level and the bottom of the organization in, in the good sense, because uh, those leaders also value the diversity or diversity um, part. Um, awesome. Uh, sounds sounds really amazing. A any any tips here for other uh, women founders that are listening and that might be thinking about starting their own venture? And again, that imposter syndrome might be in their heads, uh, and they have here the opportunity to see a, a founder were able to be post Series A. What is your ad count at the moment, Isa? At Nilo. My my sorry, what what is my what? The, the headcount, the number uh, the number of people that you have at oh, the uh, headcount. Headcount, sorry. Oh, yeah. perfect. Um, we are around eighty five people at the moment. Okay. And 
that's a really good question about the the advice. I think what I would say, or it's it's maybe an advice I would give myself as well, which is to lean into more of the things that make you unique, gender being one of the things, but not only. I think that when you're coming from a place or our society being a non-diverse uh, space, my intuition growing up was trying to hide the things that were different or the things that I was ashamed of because they were not a specific fit to that environment. And that could be like my school, my workspace, or a group of investors, a group of entrepreneurs. But I believe now that these are actually the things that we should explore and actually own in because it is particularly because we have a different point of view or a different story uh, that we can create better solutions or exactly. we can see the problems in a unique way that that in, in ways that haven't been done yet. And I think entrepreneurship is a lot about that, right? It's like looking at the world and bringing a unique point of view on how to solve a problem. So that, that would be my advice, not shying away from the differences, but looking at them and exploring them in a very positive and intentional way. And that's why it's so important to have those fellows that you were talking about before, the psychological safety and, and the open-minded people to really bring innovation into fruition. And also having a little bit of a kind of, of a crazy spirit, right? To, to know, yes, this, is, this might be a little bit crazy, but if we are able to do this, this will be so fantastic for the ones we are trying to serve and impact. And we come back into the impact uh, stage of our conversation uh, that I'm really enjoying to, to cover. So you have also been through uh, a lot of transformation. Uh, you were almost starting the company when COVID uh, started. So you also have shown a lot of resilience and capacity to, to, to the new waves instead of fighting the waves that were uh, coming and see opportunities out of uh, COVID. And I think that's Elftech did uh, particularly well uh, with, with the pandemic in, in that sense. Uh, but it re required founders to, again, to have a lot of art uh, and, and resilience to, to go through these ups and downs and, and these amazing opportunities. What has been the transformation that, that you saw in the way people uh, consume uh, healthcare services? Yeah, wow, absolutely. There were so many changes. It's crazy to imagine that two years ago, when we were starting Milo, telemedicine was not even allowed in the country. So we start from there, right? It's like we, we had a societal change that led it's into yeah. reg, regula, regulatory changes that have a deep impact in how the whole ecosystem works. But maybe because of uh, my background and products, but something that I used to preach a lot to, to our team and I still do is that we're not trying to make people change. We're just trying to observe how they behave and build something around that behavior to like maximize and um, take advantage, but good advantage of those behaviors, right? So outside of healthcare, we've been seeing a lot of change in how companies try to build a more customer-centric approach in terms of communication, in terms of convenience, 
So if you think about what happened in Brazil, for example, in banking, obviously led by new bank, but now we have hundreds of digital banks and digital wallets. Um, there was a big shift in how do you approach uh, building a relationship with customers so that you can make everything more convenient for them and, they, and therefore they can consume your products better. We saw that happening with retail and with other markets. But when you thought about healthcare before, it was everyone, at least in Brazil, and I know that's true for most of other countries in Latam, where everyone was used to a very broken experience, right? So you're used to always like seek for uh, a doctor's assistance or going to an ER when you had a problem and then going there, be facing delays, long lines, a very uh, analogic experience and having to repeat yourself, like tell your story again, make your registration again and doing that over and over if you need to go more and more. And whenever you had to look for a referral or going somewhere else in your journey, having to do that all again and tell this whole story again. So this was the status quo before the pandemic. And I think what we realized and what we tried to build for with Nilo is can we take the same concepts of customer-centric companies and bring them to healthcare as well, right? Can we help patients to do the things they are, they are already trying to do with healthcare, but in a much more convenient and in a much more effective way? For example, can we save their data in a unique database so that when they reach out to you, again, you already know who they are, what's their data, and they don't need to repeat themselves. Can you help them to book things more easily, cancel things more easily, to get follow-ups or referrals or approval and approvals in a digital way? Because all of this information is already there. There was something, there is just something missing to connect the dots. So basically, the transformation that we see happening, it's like with a few years of delay in healthcare, people using the healthcare system. Uh, taking advantage of what can be done in a digital auto, uh, automated way. Right. And what we're building towards is like helping to take the same habits that we have for consuming things outside of healthcare into healthcare. So the pandemic definitely accelerated these things because simply we could not or we did not desire to go into ER lines or to even leave our house. So we learned how to, we, we were uh, more adventurous in trying out new things that started from a digital um, entry door and then uh, moved into the in-person facilities. And it was not different with, difference with healthcare. So I think that's the biggest change that we saw. People more willing to try out uh, products and services in a digital way. Um, the whole industry understanding that doing that not only helped to reduce costs, but it also helped to provide better experience and therefore to increase their profits and to increase uh, their customer base, their, their engagement. Mm -hmm. And from our perspective, understanding that both of these things together will help patients to get a better outcomes, which is our North Star metric that we've been talking about. So it is a win-win-win, right? It's cheaper, it's right. more convenient, but it also helps people to be healthier because they're getting care in a easier and more cost-effective way. 
It's incredible. And we have discussed this um, several times now on the show that um, there's such simple things that we can improve in the experience. Why do we need to complicate and reinvent the wheel, especially in the early days? So there is a huge uh, sea of opportunities with, with data, with tech, with um, in, in terms of you know, uh, automating a lot of stuff and um, and really going into another layer of, uh, you know, reading uh, faces to see if you are happy or not happy. Uh, but but then, again, if I'm waiting in the queue <laughs> just to observe if I'm happy or not happy, it doesn't make sense, right? So those kind of things, if we are able to just focus on improving that experience from, from one point to, 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 to another point, uh, it really makes a, a huge difference. And I'm just seeing that also the experience that we get online influence our level of tolerance offline. And I'm just thinking that nowadays I'm so used to digital products from, from startups that when I need to go, for instance, into, into doing my lab tests, uh, waiting to, to collect my, the blood and uh, going through the process of in, informing my uh, insurance uh, number and, and so on, what is what is covered, what is not covered, well, how much I need to pay. It's such an awful process. <laughs> and it creates like this gap, right? Between exactly. everything you're consuming outside of healthcare to your experience using those products or services. Exactly, exactly. That's, that's why I was thinking. And, and I, I see that also at Nilo, you... Um, you have a, a huge opportunity in terms of collecting a lot of data from, from the SaaS and from the different operators and starting understanding what are the trends, what, what works better for certain conditions, certain protocols, et cetera. So there is, a again, a sea of opportunity for a second stage. What I'm saying is, yes, it's good to aim for that innovation. Uh, and I think that's a great vision that we as founders, we should have, but uh, do not forget that at the, at, at the beginning, we need to serve our patients and there are small things and quick wins that we can do in order to improve uh, that experience. Anything that you would like to highlight on, on that future vision for, for, for Nilo and opportunities with, uh, with data and technology to, to scale Nilo? Yeah, this is such a great point. Um, well, Another thing that it's like um, a um, by-sided gain that we have with like all dig by digitalizing this experience is that we're generating a ton of data, right? And I think like the problem with data oftentimes is that people who are generating it, they're not using it for anything. Right. So if you go to a hospital, for example, they have a lot of data there. Usually they have uh, electronic health records of all of their patients and years of that. Um, some hospitals are still using paper and that's, that's changing, but most places you're gonna have that on the database. The problem is that's never used unless you were there and you were like digging to find like uh, a disease and there is like a doctor looking into your case. What we're trying to do with Nilo, it's not only like collecting a lot of data with patients' uh, permission, of course, but using that in favor of patients and in favor of organizations. Because our vision is that by understanding like, uh, what are your health conditions? What's, what are your preferences? Uh, what are your goals with your health? We can help you to accomplish these goals by organizing this information 
so that care teams can help you to navigate your care journey and can help mm -hmm. you to um, get the type of treatments or the type of incentives you want to need. So that's what we do nowadays. Not only with that data, we can understand what patients have like highest risks, where patients have higher, higher needs to see support, but we can also organize that in a way that care teams can provide this type of care in a scalable and still like high touch type of care. Um, our goal with this whole thing, it's, I, I said, as I said, like there is this vision of having a North Star metric that is getting people uh, to be healthier. But from a societal perspective, what we expect is to reduce cost of care, right? And by doing that, not only we are allowing more people to have access to doctors, nurses, therapists, and, and everything, but also we are helping the national like system, healthcare system, to operate in a more effective way by providing like care for people who need it the most and by helping people who are healthy and just trying to uh, take good care of their health to keep doing that being leveraged by technology, not necessarily like taking the time of the professionals that need to be focused in people who are uh, with more serious problems. So there is all of these, there are all of these opportunities of um, distributing care in a more effective way and under helping uh, care companies to think from a, a systems perspective and not one-off reactive perspective. Love it. Yeah, huge, huge opportunity, and I can see the, the vision uh, behind that. And um, before jumping into, into the last segment of, of the show where we have a quick question and answer, uh, I couldn't uh, skip the opportunity of, of speaking uh, about fundraising uh, with a founder who was, were able to, to bring the team to raise one of the largest rounds in, in health tech in, in LATAM, uh, uh, also a, a Series A round. Uh, backed by some of the most well-known early-stage investors in, in Brazil, like uh, Maya, Canary, and also, of course, the international ones with, with Global Founders Capital uh, leading the Series A. And please correct if I'm saying anything wrong. Uh, but uh, anyway, let us know more. Uh, what has been some of your lessons that you'd like to share with other uh, founders in the, in the health tech space? Uh, and of course, these lessons also apply to the ones who are listening from, from other sectors. Um, but uh, yeah, and, and please feel free to, to complement with any other stats on, on the rounds that you have raised uh, with, with Nilo. Awesome. Well, fundraising is hard, right? It, it, it's always hard. And I think there are times when, when it's harder. And I think, unfortunately, we're living a time in in the globe where this is true, there is a scarcity of uh, high-risk capital, not only in Latin, but also like in uh, bigger markets like Europe or the US. And I think that requires even more discipline in fundraising. And probably um, most people watching or listening to this podcast have been hearing different pieces of advice about what changed in fundraising um, around this time versus like last year or on the beginning of this year, right? On the beginning, I think that in general, there are only three things that 
uh, investors are looking to analyze when we think about a very early stage startup. It is the team, it is the size of the markets and the thesis. And I think like earlier this year or before this whole crisis uh, is starting to develop, there was a very strong, um, very strong zoom and focus on the size of the market and the team mm -hmm. because there was like so much money available that everyone was thinking, oh, as long as it's a big market and it's a good team, they're gonna figure out, right? And I think the main shift that has been, that I see happening and it definitely has been affecting Milo uh, and on all of us is that now it is, yes, the team, of course, always super important, but also the thesis. And what I mean by the thesis is, do you have a business that has a, a good unit economics? Mm -hmm. Do you have the thesis that uh, you understand how you're gonna make money in a very clear way? Do you have a good go-to-market strategy? Do you have a path that after this investment, you can understand how you're gonna get profitable, even like thinking of a high-risk startup, that's, just, that's already a question. So I think that fundraising comes down to thinking very in depth of these important questions that you're gonna be asked. Of course, you don't need to have all of the answers, but you need to be, you, you, need, you need to be able to show that you have an approach, a method, and a team to get those answers. Right. Um, in our case, as, as I shared here, we have very we had very different uh, fundraising. We, we had very different theses when we raised our seed round than when we raised our Series A. And I think a very important part of the second fundraising was being able to explain what are the things that we learned, what are the things that were um, mm -hmm. the the basis for changing this strategy, what are our bets, and what's the strategy based on, on all of these things. So being really diligent and seeing the startup on a week by week, week uh, on a weekly basis uh, as a set of experiments of questions you want to get answered and uh, in-depth analysis of were the things that I learned were the things that I still don't know and were the things that I want to look forward is what helps us to understand what's our thesis, which is what helps us to, to conduct a successful fundraising. So I don't think investors, at least the good ones, and there's so many good ones uh, around there, they're trying to ask uh, some, uh, they're trying to, trick you or fool you into answering things that are not relevant. They're just trying to understand how good is your thesis? How much do you understand about it? And, and that's the main thing. Love it. Great summary uh, of what we need to, to care about uh, when, when fundraising. Uh, and, and, and definitely, uh, sometimes it helps just to put ourselves on, on their shoes and uh, understand what we were looking for, just to also try to mitigate risk and understand um, what are the things that, uh, that can go wrong in a certain way and trying to mitigate uh, for them, uh, ensuring that there is a, a bold dream and a big vision and a great team uh, behind that. So that's kind of the 
paradox behind venture capital, right? So you need to aim for the incredible stuff and the amazing vision. And at the same time, you need to be very uh, risk adverse about understanding how you will get there into that bold vision. So, <laughs> <laughs> so it's kind yeah. of a paradox, very difficult to... So I think it happens also with founders, right? So we, keep, we, we wake up and we, we, we think about the purpose, the vision, and then we come back into, into the day-to-day -day kind of uh, issues and problems that we need to solve. Right? <laughs> yeah, 100%. That, that's the challenge, right? And I think even um, not only this cross our minds, but it's also like it's a ne uh, necessary exercise with the company, right? Because we as a company, we can never forget why we're doing things. What's our end goal? Like, where do we dream to be in like five, 10 years from now? But when we're designing like our tactics, when we're thinking of OKRs, right. we see that there is like an endless piles of responsibilities and you can only choose like one or two or three beds for the next three months. Correct. So it is um, a very like stretching exercise, yeah. So let's go into uh, the last segment of the show where I ask a, a quick question and give me please a, a brief uh, answer. The first three are very self-reflective. So if you would have the opportunity either to speak with yourself or have a coffee with yourself at the beginning of, uh, of Nilu, what advice would you offer to your younger self? Well, I think I have, we, we have talked about, about this one a little bit, right? In terms yeah. of um, really seeing my, um, my weaknesses or differences as an opportunity to, to show a unique point of view to the world and not being afraid of bringing them up. It's not always easy when you don't, you don't have a, an environment with psychological safety or really accepting but it is necessary because you know we just we are who we are, and <laughs> it is important to be able to express uh, our unique unique traits. Love it. What are you the most proud of on your journey? Mm, well, I think like even though starting the company was something that I have thought about from an earlier age even as early as in, in my first job, um, making, taking this, this step for me represented um, a big, like a big risk at the time. And something that I'm proud of is to understand, to have like this really honest conversation with myself of what things are important to me, like having a, and uh, like talking about things that were taboo, even like in a self-talk way, for example, what are your ambitions? What are your money needs? What's gonna happen to you? Like if the company fails or if you cannot pay yourself a salary for a long time and being able to create like a safe space where regardless of the company's outcomes, I am confident that this is a step then it's gonna like bring me joy, satisfaction, it's gonna be connected to my purpose. And having that as the basis for making, taking the, making the decision of 
uh, entrepreneurship. So I don't think, I think it is for everyone. And at the same time, it's not. And the main difference is like, uh, can you find a space that it's a mental space of safety because like everything else it's very risky and and i think that's uh exactly <laughs> <laughs> yeah love it that that's a great one and really i've never heard um, that reflection in that way that it makes a lot of sense to me and it resonates a lot with me which is the way we are able to manage our self-talk or in other words the way we are able to talk with ourselves in, in those ups and downs, uh, it, it really requires to have a great relationship with, with ourselves to, to go through a venture. Uh, so that's, that's a great way, the way you phrased it. Worst advice ever received? Hmm. Well, I don't think I have like a, a specific worst advice. I just, um, I think in general, it's really easy uh, when you are sitting um, in an investor's chair or looking from a business from the outside perspective to have opinions, mm -hmm. right? right? And I'm not talking about like our current investors at Nilo, I actually think they provide very helpful advice, but I have worked before in this investment space a little bit, and I see that often we just hear like critiques and feedbacks in a way that it feels really hurtful, right? You hear that and you believe, yeah. and you think that your business is not good enough or uh, your decision was not good enough. And I would say to listen to everyone with a lot of curiosity and openness, but also to be able to create some space, take that information, reassess, understand like where are the basis that you're making your own decisions and here, listen to everyone, but make decisions that are yours versus just following like advice, direct advice from people looking outside of your business or your life that don't have as much context or don't have the full picture of what's going on. So I don't have like a, a specific one, but just like this idea of uh, taking everything with a grain of salt and, and having original ideas and original uh, decision making being able to to filter what makes sense to you and uh, what doesn't make sense and uh, it's it's also sometimes difficult when we are collecting a lot of feedback and going through those uh, difficult journeys to also being able to filter what really might make sense for your specific situation and what might not make sense especially for the ones that you respect and that you recognize the most right <laughs> Absolutely. You said something that uh, made me think here out loud. We talk so much about what are the steps or what are the needs to start a company when it comes to tangible things, right? Fundraising or strategy or hiring. But there is a lot of inner work, right? There's a lot of things that uh, it's a journey that we also need to prepare ourselves in terms of uh, feeling healthy, being in a good mental space, being able to handle so much ambiguity. I think like this, where, where it connects to me to what you're saying is when you're working for a company, 
there's often one person that ultimately is responsible to tell you what's right or wrong. It's either like the CEO right. or a board investor. And this person is going to be held accountable for responsibilities and a sense of what's right. When you're building your own path, and that applies, of course, to life, but we're talking here about our businesses. There is There are lots of opinions there are lots of, uh, there's a lot of feedback, but, you know, you need to be able to process all of that and commit and make decisions all make the decisions. time. And, and that's, that's a, it's, it's a very big shift in mindset and it's a big shift. And how do we uh, handle this type of situations in our day by day? Love it. And let's move into the resources. Uh, favorite book? I have lots of books I really like. Uh, maybe I'll share one that we've been asking everyone to read at Nilo because it describes a lot the type of culture that we're trying to build. It's called No Rule Rules. It is about the story of how the culture of Netflix was built. And it talks a little bit about responsibility, but at the same time, uh, freedom. And how do you balance both levers? How do you, you know, help people to feel responsible for things, but at the same time, you remove the barriers for them to grow, develop, and, and build uh, the company with you? So I, I love it. I think it's like very well written. Love it. Favorite movie or series? Well, I don't like talking about favorites, but I have because I have too many of them. So I'm not just going to say that's the okay. top, but I will say one that I watched recently. And I loved it because it's two of the, the same things that we're talking here. It's called Succession. It's a TV series on uh, mm -hmm. HBO. Not sure if you watched it. Have you? Yeah. Yeah. Did you like Absolutely. it? And what I love about it, it, it mixes like the theme of psychology and family relations and interpersonal dynamics exactly. with business. So it's, for, it's heavy, but it's a lot of entertainment for me because it's, it, I, I can uh, think of many parallels of the types of challenges we go on our day by day. Perfect. And finally, the, your favorite podcast, uh, excluding this one. Well, I will say, Mike, I am not like super, uh, super regular on podcasts. Mm -hmm. So I don't think I would be like the best person to provide a suggestion on this one. Got it. Sounds great. Uh, Isa, it was such a pleasure to have you on the show. So deep conversation that we had and uh, useful advice for, uh, for the ones who are listening to us. And uh, so much for making the time. You, you are always welcome to the show to keep sharing your your journey with us and there are so many other stuff that you have been going through on your journey that we were not able to cover and you are so always welcome to to come for a round two and the round three uh on on your journey mike it was a super pleasure i loved talking to you and uh thank you so much for creating the space and like the moods and the right questions for us to speak so freely about all of these topics um, and you, I'll be glad to be back. Thank you so much.
Thank you, uh, Isa. And to our community, as you see, we keep trying to make your life a little bit easier on this amazing adventure that is to start and scale a company. See you soon and keep scaling. Mm -hmm.